0: I want to turn to the passage then we read together. Uh, Genesis 48. It's a striking fact that uh, the book of um, Hebrews uh, uses this passage to highlight uh, uh, Jacob's faith. You know that passage in Hebrews 11, it's full, isn't it? Of uh, examples of faith. Uh, from the Old Testament, I wonder if you'd been asked what uh, incident in the life of Jacob that you would have chosen. Well, the writer of the Hebrews uh, picks this chapter, and it it records uh, the events in Jacob's life right at the very end of his life. It might even be the very last day of his life, and. Uh, it's in this passage that joseph brings his two sons manasseh and ephraim to him to be blessed now it's not that that i actually want to deal with this evening but within this chapter we have what we might call um jacob's testimony uh, and we find that in uh, verses uh, 15 and 16 um, the God whom my, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let them be, uh, let my name be carried on, in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude, into the mit- in the midst of the earth it's this testimony of jacob i want us to think about uh, this evening it's always a great joy isn't it when we hear of some young person or some new convert whether young or old coming to faith of speaking of uh, the lord jesus christ for the first time uh, and if that's a great sad a great joy it's a great sadness isn't it when uh, later in life, we hear of such a person turning away, of denying the faith, uh, proving their faith was, uh, but like that, on the hard ground. Uh, there's such sad things, aren't they, that Paul writes uh, to Timothy in his second letter: "Do your best to come to me, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me." So if it's a great joy to hear of a new convert and a sadness to hear of someone who's departed it surely should be equally a cause of joy for us to hear the testimony of somebody who's on the verge of glory somebody who's run the race somebody who's drawing near to heaven and that's what we have here in these words this testimony of jacob he 's uh, lived one hundred and forty seven years by this time, and he now has this testimony uh, about God and all that he has done for him it's interesting to note, isn't it, um, often when we, we listen to a, a young convert given their their testimony, it's naturally all about how they feel about what they have done how how they came to the lord and yet here this mature believer his testimony now is all about god there's nothing really a great deal about himself but it's all about his god and what god has done the aged patriarch here is a transformed man you i'm sure you know his story how as a, a young boy and a young man he was that self-centered deceiver but now here he is and he wants uh not his desires to be foremost but he wants joseph and his sons to hear about what god has done and what god has been to him and that's surely really all what all testimonies should be like, shouldn't they? They be, should be filled with God and with his grace and with His redemption. Well, may this testimony then challenge us. And what we see here is, first of all, that every real testimony points us to a change in a person's relationship to God from the very outset. Jacob wants us to understand, to know that he now worships and serves, and has been kept by the one who is the true and the living God. This testimony would make sense if uh, his, his words began, "God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac worked, walked," but he he begins by uh, declaring the God now that might not seem a great deal of difference to us in in english but in the hebrew apparently to put the this ver in front of the noun is to uh, emphasize something to be very deliberate in one's emphasis and uh, jacob here it seems to be saying i want you to know that what i have to say now is not about some of the idols or the the false gods that surround us that even surrounded them there in egypt no i want to tell you about the god the true god the living god the only god this is the one who has become real in jacob's life it, it's so different isn't it to jacob as a young man you remember the incident in Genesis 27 when um Isaac is about to bless uh Esau is about to pass on the family blessing and you know how Isaac has Esau as a favorite Rebecca has Jacob as a favorite and Rebecca hears what's going to do what's going to happen and failing to trust God she comes up with her own plan she dresses up Jacob makes him look and smell like esau and sends him in to isaac who's now blind and uh, jacob as uh, um isaac has sent esau off to uh, kill a deer and prepare a meal for him before he blesses him and so rebecca quickly makes a meal for him and sends jacob in and we read these words don't we so he went in to his father and said, "My father." And he said, "Here I am. Who are you, my son?" Jacob said to his father, "I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me." But Isaac said to his son, "How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son?" He answered, "Because the Lord your God." Granted me success. Don't our words reveal something about our heart? He doesn't say, God has brought the animal to me. He's lying, of course. But he doesn't say God has brought this animal. He doesn't say my God. He says, Your God has brought this animal to me and granted me success. But now now, in this passage that we're looking at the, at the end of Jacob's life, everything is different. Uh, Jacob no longer speaks about your God, but he speaks about my God, their God, the living God. There is a, a reality now uh, to Jacob's faith. And he wants us to know that the God whom Abraham served, the God whom Isaac served. This true and living God is now the one that Jacob has served and knows. Uh, Jacob had lived hadn't he, for uh, a vast number of years uh, amongst the idolatrous nations uh, back in Canaan, and now he spent 17 years in the idolatrous society of Egypt. And yet, in all that, we see here how his faith triumphed, how it has matured and grown, so that at the end of his life he can say, This God, the true and the living God, is my God. And as he does that, he reveals to us in his testimony three great truths about the gods whom he worships. I want us to look at those three truths now and the first one is is that uh i uh, jacob here tells us that god is the one who has always been behind him you notice what he says the god before whom my fathers abraham and isaac walked and by implication he's saying this is the god before whom i have walked and what he's saying then is if i've walked before god then god must be behind me for somebody to walk before somebody means to walk in front of them and what jacob is saying that i realize at the end of my life that all my life has been walked in the full view of god i've lived in god's sight every moment of my life the lord has uh, has observed all of his life all the twists all the turns of 147 years were seen by god never was there a moment when jacob had been able to go behind god's back no god was always behind him looking down Upon him, and Jacob, as he testifies to this fact here, he illustrates for us doesn 't he a, a truth which is of course taught everywhere in the Bible that the Lord, our God, is the God who is everywhere it 's uh, the theme of that great, uh, meditation of uh, david in psalm 139: 139 o lord you have searched me and known me you know when i sit down and when i rise up you discern my thoughts from afar you search out my path and my lying down and acquainted with all my ways and he goes on doesn't he god sees him whether it's dark or light whether he's near or far god is always present god always sees. And that's a, a great truth, isn't it, to to challenge us. Uh, but it's no abstract truth. It, it's not a, a, a truth which we can tick off in our minds. Here's a truth to bring us great comfort as believers, isn't it? That uh, the days in which we live today, they, they, they're becoming more and more filled with concern for believers uh of anxieties about our testimony and uh the reactions to it are increasingly hostile in the day and age in which we live well we can take comfort can't we in this truth that there is nothing outside of god's knowledge not only does god know us each individually but he knows the whole of society we're all before him it's the the truth. Hagar came to realise, isn't it? So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God of seeing, for she said, truly I have seen him who looks after me. It's a great comfort, but it's also, isn't it? It ought to be to us as believers a great challenge. It's a great challenge constantly to me because I have to. Be honest and say I don't live all the time in the light of this truth how different my life would really be if every day every moment I thought this God sees me but we can trip words off our lips so easily can't we but how to live in the light of them is the great challenge for us as believers, isn't it? How much more godly our lives would be if this was the the, the great thrust of our, our our moments that God sees me. But then the great, the second truth that uh, Jacob reveals to us here, that not only has God been the one who has been behind him, but God is the one who has been before him. The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. The God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. I'm sure you all know shepherds in this country, they they drive their sheep, don't they? With sheepdogs in the Middle East, uh, back in uh, biblical times and still today, the shepherd goes before the sheep. And the sheep follow. And uh Jacob here is describing God as the one who has been his shepherd. He is the one uh who has led him. Jacob has followed on as the sheep follows the shepherd. Uh and, and following is always a sign of discipleship, isn't it? It's a sign of commitment. Uh Jesus uh, on numerous occasions when he was calling his disciples he did so with these simple words follow me uh, in in john chapter 10 he could say to the crowds my sheep hear my voice and they follow me and then he gives us that uh that challenge doesn't he in matthew if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me God is the one who leads his people in this verse here we actually have the first reference to God as a shepherd in the whole of the bible but as you know it's a theme that weaves its way through from this point through the whole of scripture and it has these great high points doesn't it in the old testament we have that psalm again of david uh, psalm 23 which is a, a great high point in the old testament of this truth the lord is my shepherd i shall not want jacob uh, was himself a shepherd he had his flocks and sheep of goats he understood the, the shepherd's task long before david penned his great psalm and he he understood the true a uh, measure of care that the flocks that were his required, and he saw in this this, and his uh, Abraham and Isaac saw in this a fitting picture of God's care of His people. As I say, it comes to that great climax in Psalm twenty-three: "I shall not want." and what does David go on he goes on and lists all the things that God promises that the Lord promises to his people I will not lack rest I will not lack life I will not lack guidance I will not lack safety I will not lack provisions both now and for eternity this is the the Shepherd who is our God it's a great statement isn't it that jacob ends this little section with the god who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day it it, it sums up the whole teaching of the bible on providence god has been with him all his life long not simply once he'd come to faith not simply once he began following God, but Jacob looks back on the whole of his life now, and he sees that God was always there, that God was always leading, God was always directing. And again, uh, David, in that Psalm 139, takes up the same truth, doesn't he? "For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together at my mother's womb." all life long god is not a part time shepherd his care of jacob has been throughout his life and that again is a, a great comfort to us isn't it as believers that not only does god see us and knows our concerns knows our trials knows our difficulties but he actually leads us through them and knows them before we know them uh, we, we sing, "I do not know what lies ahead," and, and we're, we're all glad that's true, isn't it? We don't know what is coming. But God knows, and God is leading, and God is preparing and providing for us. So that should be a great comfort to us again as believers. But then thirdly, Jacob reveals another great truth that this god who is behind him and before him is also the god who is beside him god's watchfulness uh, god's care is not something that takes place at a distance god draws near the lord walks with his people jacob can say here the angel who has redeemed me from all evil Bless the boys through all the dangers, the trials, the hardships, the falls, the failings of his life. Jacob has come to realize that deliverance has not been in his own hands. He once thought like that. Uh, he was the man who thought he could trick and deceive his way out of every situation. But now, with a greater humility, he looks back. And acknowledges that his life was being kept and he was being delivered as a result of God's care and kindness and presence. But perhaps somebody is saying, but actually that doesn't say God, it says the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Angels were and are God's messengers, God's servants who are sent to do. His bidding, but throughout the Old Testament we have references to a special angel, the angel, or the angel of the Lord, and that has a, a deeper, more profound meaning. Uh, to introduce an angel into this testimony uh, would be so out of place, wouldn't it? He, he's praising God for all His keeping. To suddenly give worship to an angel. Would be so wrong, wouldn't it? Surely Jacob here is referring to the one whom he has met on a number of occasions. Down through his life, he met with the angel of the Lord at Penuel and wrestled with him. He met him at Bethel when his name was changed from Jacob to Israel, and it's this angel. Whom Jacob describes now, his redeemer, his deliverer. And this is surely none other than one of those pre-incarnate appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. It's the Lord who's been Jacob's traveling companion at every twist and turn, at every danger. It is the Lord who has delivered him from all evil and there's something even more profound as we we were to read through into the next chapter this one that uh, Jacob speaks of as a redeemer the one who has redeemed him from all evil uh, is the one that Jacob goes on uh, to make a great prophecy about where in chapter 49 he calls his other sons to him and blesses them individually and as he speaks with Judah, we find there that he makes this great messianic prophecy. Uh, Jacob with Abraham and Isaac and all the Old Testament saints who understood, look forward. They knew of the curse, they knew of the fall in the garden, and they looked forward to that seed that was to come. And Jacob at the end of his life, he makes this great prophecy: the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him to him shall be the obedience of the peoples binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's coat to the choice choice vine he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes his eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk he's speaking of somebody yet to come the one who will be The seed to redeem, not only Israel, but all peoples. He's prophesying of the Lord Jesus Christ. That great covenant promise that had been made to Abram, Isaac and Jacob. That in their seed, all the world would be blessed. Jacob sees as being fulfilled in this one who is yet to come. After Jacob had blessed Manasseh and Ephraim, he called his other sons, and we see that great prophecy being proclaimed, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, whom we now see in all the fullness, with the whole of Scripture uh, revealed before us. He he looks forward to that second great high point uh, that we've referred to once already. If the the Psalm 23 is the Old Testament pinnacle of the shepherd theme. Surely, John chapter 10 is the New Testament pinnacle. "I am the good shepherd," the Lord Jesus Christ proclaims. This pre-incarnate Lord, the Angel of the Lord, has now taken flesh and come and dwelt amongst men. He has now come to procure that eternal deliverance. That deliverance from all evil, for his people. and he did it, didn't he? as he declared, "I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep through his death and resurrection. The Lord has delivered us, He saved us, and he promises to preserve us. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jacob looked back with thankfulness and praise for all that God had done. Uh, he had this great testimony uh, of God in his life. Uh, if he'd been with us tonight, I'm sure he would be delighted to have sung, "Praise my soul, the King of heaven, to his feet by tribute bring ransomed healed restored forgiven who like thee his praise should sing and then lastly as we close Jacob's testimony here has just one more lesson for us one more challenge with his closing words he expresses a desire that what he knows will be passed on to another generation. The Lord bless the boys, he says, and in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. I wonder when you, you read this passage, I wonder if you ever think about what Manasseh and Ephraim thought about their grandfather Jacob. Grandchildren often think their grandparents are a bit, uh, you know, oddball, don't they? Well, mine do, anyway. I don't know why, but um, uh, but he'd been a nomadic shepherd for one hundred and thirty years before they first met him. These two young boys, they uh, were given the wrong impression. Really, I, I'm not sure whether it's a poor translation, but we're told that Jason. Jay, uh, Jason Joseph took them from his knees, but actually these were were young men by now. Uh, perhaps they were standing on either side uh, of Joseph. They, they'd been they'd grown up in the the court of Egypt, in, in Pharaoh's court. They had the the best that all that Egypt could offer. Their father was second in authority in the whole of the land. They wanted for nothing they could have had all that the world offered them and yet here is this old man the shepherd who says i want you to be mine i want you to follow me i want you to carry on my work into another generation he said in verse 5 of the chapter uh, and Jacob said to Joseph God almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me behold I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession and now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. Manasseh and Ephraim were to become Jacob's children, as it were. What was their reaction? Well, they could have rejected, couldn't they, Jacob's call. They could have said that they wanted simply to go back to Pharaoh and to the palace and to the pleasures of Egypt. But these two young men, they'd known this man, their grandfather, for seventeen years, all the time that he'd been in Egypt. And it would appear that they wanted what he had. How do we know that? Well, we're told, aren't we, that Manasseh and Ephraim became part of the people of God. They Manasseh and Ephraim, as individuals, died in Egypt but their descendants became slaves their descendants were delivered out of egypt by moses they went through the wilderness they became part of god's people and they surely could only have done that if manasseh and ephraim had joined themselves to jacob and his family as we get older our physical abilities weaken, but what of our zeal to see others come to know the Lord? Is that still as great? Whether it's only in able to be in a, a life of prayer, when activity is less able, it should never diminish, should it? Whatever age we are, we should be desiring that others might know the Lord whom we serve are we an encouragement to people who are following behind are we as grandparents an encouragement encouragement to our children and grandchildren parents to children colleagues to colleagues in work friend to friend neighbor to neighbor there are so many relationships aren't there i wonder when our last day comes what people will say of us. It's nice to think, isn't it, that people will say he was a good man or he's a good woman. But wouldn't it be wonderful if people looked back on our lives and said, that person had a wonderful God. That person had a wonderful Savior. That surely is the end of our testimony that people might not come to us but come to the Lord.